the greatest mentors have all taught me to have a clear vision and to live a life of service. It's like being clear on your dreams, on your goals, on your vision, on your mission, like having clarity because a lack of clarity makes us feel lonely, makes us feel more insecure, makes us feel like we're just wandering the earth waiting to die. Lewis, thank you very much for joining my Beyond Victory podcast. My it's man, a, it's a great name. Awesome, uh, awesome to have you. Um, because I've been a huge fan of your podcast now for many, many months since I discovered it. Even watched and listened to episodes with my wife. Wow. Because you even cover things like child education. Parenting. Parenting, parenting yeah. There we go. Conscious parenting. So, yeah. so that was so cool that I could bring my wife as well to That's watch beautiful. your episodes. That I found awesome because it, it really it was a lovely moment to share with That's my wife cool. and then discuss all the lessons that you extracted from your guest and in that sense and because it's obviously one of the biggest topics for us. Um, so I would like to jump in to where you've uh, where you've come from and some of the early like incredible challenges that you've had to overcome and and the traumas that you've as well experienced growing up, which have eventually also helped made, make you into yeah. who you are today. But I think it would be valuable for the listeners and viewers to, to get an insight into that um, at first. I think we have very similar internal emotions growing up as kids. I was very insecure with everything. I felt extremely lonely all the time. Youngest of four kids, my parents were working hard just to try to make the money so they could pay for the, the food, the house. My brother went off to prison when I was eight years old for four and a half years. So and he was like your hero a bit, wasn't he? He was a hero. Time? He was 11 years older than me. He went to prison at eight. And it was a really confusing time because my parents were heartbroken and there was just a lot of sadness in the family. He was the oldest. He was the most talented. He was the smartest, everything. He was one of the best classical violinists in the country for his age group, under 17. And he had all his talent, and yet here he is, this hero that's in prison behind bars. And every weekend, we would drive a couple hours to go visit, and you had visiting hours you could go, and I would sit in a, a big open room with probably 50 inmates, 50 prisoners, convicts, who had done really bad crimes. And I would sit there for a few hours, and all their families would be sitting around them, and I would observe these prisoners and I'd see my brother and I was like, my brother's a good guy. He like, he's not a bad guy. Why is he in here? You know, I just didn't understand as an eight year old. And those four years really shaped me a lot because there was so much anger inside from dealing with this. I didn't know any other kids who had brothers or family members that went to prison. It was kind of like something you saw on TV as this really horrible thing. And yet all I knew was my brother was a good guy. So it was very confusing, but it taught me the most about, I think, people from that experience because I really observed people from that early age. I didn't have friends during that time because the neighborhood kids weren't allowed to hang out with me because my brother was oh in prison. Oh my goodness. So all the parents wow, on the street. Oh my goodness. So you know, you're, I'm playing in the backyard usually with kids. You're playing wow. soccer, you're playing football, you're playing like roller hockey, and then kids weren't allowed to hang out with me anymore. And wow, so I was like, man. what's you know, what's going on? So I started playing sports alone by myself for four years. I would go to the gym by myself and just shoot basketballs for hours. 
And it wasn't until I was like 11 years old, there was an older kid who was about 15, 16, who moved a couple doors next to me. He was from another state. He moved, so he had no clue what was really going on. And so we would play sports together all the time. And I just observed people. I observed the way people would look at me, would judge me, would judge my brother. And I observed prisoners every weekend. I would just watch and experience people. And that's when I really started to understand the way people think and how they feel. But it was a lot of pain. It was constant pain for me because I felt like no one cared. My life doesn't matter. Why am I even alive if no one wants to hang out with me? So I was driven by proving everyone wrong about me. I was driven by I need to become the best in the world in sports because I don't want anyone to laugh at me or pick on me anymore. And that drive made me sacrifice everything just to be as the best athlete I could be. And that was kind of my early shaped experience. And you think that had such a, even though you were already eight by then, you think it still had such a profound effect? Can you remember like before? I think it did before, because... Were you already a lot in that direction? I or think, did it completely yeah. change you and trauma? No, nah, it was, my whole childhood was trauma in, from my memories. There was okay. positive moments and there was some, you know, we had some good Christmases and I had some memories that were positive, but... One of my first memory memories was I was four. I was in preschool, was one of my first memories. Then I had another memory while I was in kindergarten, drawing. And then maybe two memories after that. And then the next memory, I was raped. So I was five years old. I was five years old when I was raped by another man who was probably 16 or 17. It was the babysitter's son. And I maybe have a few memories before that memory. So five years old. And then also being the youngest of four, like my siblings didn't really hang out with me. My sister was four and a half years older. My other sister was another four years older than that. And then my brother was 11 years older than me. So I was kind of the young brat that the story that I told myself was like, no one cares about me. They did, you know, they were there for me. My parents would do their best and they would tuck me in at night and, you know, make sure I got off to school and feed me and supportive But in my story that I told myself is like, no one cares about me. Kids make fun of me in school because I'm, you know, getting laughed at when I read out loud. I'm in the special needs classes. So it was just like little traumas every single day that I felt like I faced until I was about 13. And then I begged my parents to send me away. So I went to a private boarding school. I begged them every day in a summer. And I said, please send me away. And I just needed to get out. I just felt like, Something bad was going to happen if I didn't leave the town I was in. I was in a small town in, in Ohio. So it just felt like it was always like little traumas, you know, emotional, mental, physical, just like trauma was building. Again, at least that's the story I told myself, right? I just needed to get out. And when I left and I went to a, a boarding school, my parents didn't want to send me away. It's usually the other way around. You're usually like this bad kid and your parents send you. I begged my parents and they're like, no, we're not sending you. And finally, I convinced them so good uh, so enough that they sent me away. And it was the greatest thing that happened to me being in this private boarding school because that's when I really started to just grow up. I started to grow up. I still had a lot of anger and resentment, but I really started to grow up and, and become more confident because I became a great athlete in high school in different sports. And that's when things started to shift. You tried to go through sport as well. Of course, your dream was to become an All-American uh, yeah. footballer, yeah. but you're 
approach in your head was not right because you were just no. about getting recognition um, winning and, and at winning, all costs. Yeah. so can you uh, can you take us through then first of all the the suffering that comes with that and then also what happened because you got injured and the impact that that had and then that was probably the lowest point in your life if you I know. just yeah. explain that uh, uh, you know the winning was like winning for the wrong reasons is like the biggest suffering I would win and I'd feel joy for moments. And then I would continue to reflect back on, even if I scored 40 points in a basketball game or had three touchdowns in a football game, like we would win. Or, or you did 470 yards and that was the greatest 418 record. 418 yards. I broke a 418 yards 418 in one game. 418 yards. And we lost. Which was the world record in football at the time. At the time. The most receiving yards in a game. And we lost. And I remember sitting in the shower i was so upset that we lost even though i broke this world record i'm in the shower for an hour after all my teammates left i remember this vividly i'm in the shower and my coach comes in there i didn't even know i broke the record i was just pissed that we lost my coach comes in there and he says you just broke this record and i'm in there alone like not crying but i'm just sulking over the loss that i feel like i didn't do a good enough job even though no one had ever done in the world what I had just done. I was still beating myself up because we lost. So really didn't have much self-worth huh? in, in, in general. Yeah, I mean, I was just like, everything had to be perfect. And even if it was perfect or it had never been done before, it wasn't good enough still. So winning was not even enough for me. Like when I made All-American Decathlon, I remember I was happy for about 10 minutes. And then afterwards, I was sitting around at the dinner table with my parents, coach, teammates, and I was the most miserable person in this whole restaurant. 10 minutes after winning like a lifelong dream, right? Getting all-American status. It'd be like after you won uh, Formula One, won chairmanship, like going to dinner that night and just being the most miserable person in the room. I didn't know why. I was like, why am I so unhappy? I just did my lifelong childhood dream and I'm unhappy. And I really didn't understand. I was like, well, it's not Olympics. You know, it's college. It's not really the Olympic. It's not worlds, you know? And I didn't understand why I was never fulfilled with winning and how why losing was like the greatest suffering. Man, that sucks. But it was every <laughs> it was day it was like that. And so it's but it like you said, like that that resentment, that anger, that lack of self-worth drove me to be obsessive over becoming better. But it left me feeling so lonely and empty inside because I realized six years ago when I started to do a lot of work on myself, I realized I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Before you jump into yes, that, yes. can we just jump into the next step, which was even darker, <laughs> yes. which came after some of the sporting yes, success. Yes. So you injured yourself. Yeah. I broke, I was, was playing, the... I was playing arena football in America and I broke my wrist and, um, I had a surgery they took a bone out of my hip, put it in my wrist. And so for six months I was in a cast like this with the cast up to here and I couldn't straighten my arm. And, and that um, was just just before like making it to the real big time. No? Yeah, I was working to make it to the NFL. Yeah. This is one step right before that. Got injured. And it was kind of a two-year denial period where I was like, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to come back. But it just the injury never really recovered. Wow. And so that's hard. This huh? was the, also the life dream. The life dream. And purpose ended. at the time disappearing. Huh? All I cared about was going to the NFL, was making my dream come true. And... Now an injury stopped the dream. And I remember feeling, and my, here's a story that most people don't know. And I, I wrote about, a little bit about it in my book, but I really don't talk about this that much. Right before I went to go play professional football, my dad gets in a car accident in New Zealand and he was in a coma for three months 
We didn't know if he was going to live or die. Every day it was like, is he still alive? Uh, and he didn't wake up for three months. He woke up and came back to America and he's still alive today, but he's never been the same. It's like, I'm the parent trying to, we had to teach my dad how to write, how to talk, how to read, how to do everything. It was like he was a child emotionally and we had to teach him everything. Uh, so it was very hard as a 23 year old, having my father physically here, but emotionally and mentally, not the mentor, the guide, you know, the, the financial support that I once had. And that was probably the hardest blow for me more than like the injury to my arm. I didn't have my, my dad to mentor me and teach me what to do next. I was kind of felt like I was on my own again. So that was the challenging thing. I've had my arm broken all at the same time, all at the same time. I lose my dream. My I'm injured. My dad is recovering, but never, never the same again. And it's also the 2007, 2008, when the economy tanked in the USA, I didn't have a college degree either yet. And so now I'm sleeping on my sister's couch for a year and a half, just kind of figuring out like kind of back to the place where I was when I was eight, like, what's my purpose? Why am I even alive? Am I supposed to be here? Why did this happen to me? You know, these questions we have when bad things happen, it's like, why did this happen to me? And, um, instead of after a couple months of moping around, I was like, okay, I need to change something in my life. Like I have to learn to accept this. This is where I'm at. And what can I do? I can either can live give it, give us the ignition there. Is there one, one moment, one inspiration, one person, one yeah, was I was, build up? I or? was watching, um, the Olympics. It was my favorite, my favorite thing to do is watch the Olympics every four years because there's always been a dream of mine to go to the Olympics. Oh. And so this is funny. Yeah. I never really talked about this either. So I'm watching the Olympics to 2008 Beijing Olympics and, um, you know, Michael Phelps is crushing it and all these other, uh, us heroes are, are dominating. And then it's about 3 AM and this sport that you're familiar with called team handball is on TV. And I'd never seen this. I was like, what is this sport? You know, I'm 23, 24 years old or something. And I'd never seen this sport in my life. And I see these guys, and I think it was probably Germany that was like playing. Germany's best in the world. Yeah, one of the best in the world. Not one of. Well, I don't know if they won the world championships <laughs> last time, but yeah. But they are always in the top five in the world. And so I see these highlights and I go, what is this sport? This is fascinating. I was like, where has this sport been my whole life? I go, this is the sport I was born to play. What? Like everything That's about funny. it. You got to be able to jump. You got it's like on a basketball court. Yeah, you got to yeah. be able to throw hard. Like it had everything that I was good at as an athlete. Yeah. This sport has, and I was like, "This is my ticket out of here. I'm going <laughs> to the Olympics. I'm going to make the USA national team. That's amazing. I'm going to qualify for the Olympics, yeah. and I'm going to fulfill my lifelong That's dream." That's amazing. And so this that, whilst being fat and having a bag of chips, fat man, everything, chips in the hand, everything, yeah, everything, not working out. And I, I told myself. I started obsessively researching handball. And I was like, is there handball in Ohio, handball in America? I was just like Googling. And there was very little information in the USA. It was just a few club teams around the country. And I started reaching out to everyone I could, I could find. And no one would get back to me. And I saw that the, there was like an amateur national championships for club teams in the USA. 
and that the New York City team won the last three years in a row. And so I found the New York City website. I started emailing people. No one got back to me. And I saw there was an address of where they practiced. Not really surprising as you're like at zero. Right, exactly. You're like at absolute zero. No one's yeah. And so there was an address of where they practiced on like Tuesday nights. I said, now I need to go make some money because I'm going to go move to New York City. I'm going to make the New York City team, make the USA team, and then go to the Olympics. And so I said, when I make enough money, I'm moving to New York City and I'm going to go try this sport. And it, literally a year later, that's what got me like focused. I had this dream. And I think when we lose our dreams, we lose our focus. So it's important to have these, these dreams. And so I started seeking mentors right then. I started to seek every mentor I could to learn information. But that's also from mentally or to be able to learn sports? No, mentally about like in life and business. Okay, I was yeah. like, I need to learn how to make money because yeah. I was broke. Because I need to be able to get to New York City because I have no money. <laughs> Because I need to go learn how to play the sport so I can go fulfill this dream. And so for the next year, I started obsessively learning how to build business, which I had no, I'd never made money before in my life, except for a little bit of money from football, from like little odd jobs here and there. But I wasn't like a career guy, I never had a job. I was like, I need to learn how to make money so I can go move to New York. So fast forward a year goes by and I start making money, right? I start making money. I have these mentors. A lot happens within that year, but I find a few key mentors that teach me about business, about public speaking, about writing books, about all uh, marketing, branding, design, and I obsessively go all in. And then I start training also. The cast got off that month, and I start training. Let's just pause there. Mentors yes. being a super, super important and powerful thing in life, huh? Mentors have been um, my life How changes. do you, how, you, just re, you just persist and, and reach out to them and and say, uh, I need some help or what? Or how does it work? Because I think that's such a crucial ingredient for all of us to, to find yeah. our paths in life to fulfillment is finding these right mentors in the right time. For whatever reason, I think I just understood people at an early age by always being alone and observing people. And so I would see what would work for other people, what they were doing, just based on like, if someone went up to a stranger, how would they interact? I would watch people and mimic kind of their experience and their way of being a lot. And so I remember I didn't know anyone and I started emailing local business leaders in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I was living on my sister's couch. And I remember just saying to myself, if I was a successful, busy business owner, why would I give any time to some 23, 24 year old like punk who's like injured, who can add zero value to me? So why, would, why would I respond to them? So what's the answer? And so I said, what would I want if I was successful, had no time? Why, why would I say yes to giving some time, 20 minutes, to someone young to like mentor them, right? And I just started thinking to myself like, gosh, okay. I started putting myself in their shoes. What would they need? What would they want? How would they want to feel validated? And I literally started emailing people on LinkedIn one by one and finding ways to find mutual connections, finding ways to see common interests that we had based on researching them. And all, I would never ask them for advice when I would email them. I would just say, I'm so impressed by everything you've created, and I'm so inspired by how you jump from here to here in your career at this stage of your life. Or whatever it was, I would find something that I was inspired by. And I would just say, are you open to sharing me like how you became so successful? And for whatever reason, you said you never asked for advice. I wouldn't ask for advice, but I would ask them to share their success. 
their story of success. Yeah, okay. well, no one wants to like give 10 minutes to share, to tell someone advice, but they'll tell how they became successful. There's like this inner drive that's like, yeah, I want to tell you how I became successful. There's a need for recognition. It's a need for recognition. Need for recognition. And it's one of the greatest You've gifts. tapped into their need for recognition. <laughs> and it was one of the greatest gifts that a lot of them said, like, thank you for allowing me to share my story and for, for listening. And like, it, it filled their ego, it filled their desires, their recognition. But I would never say, can you give me some advice on how I can go from where I'm at to where I want to be? I would never say, give me advice. I would say, I'm so inspired by how you did this. Can you tell me the story of your success and what you had to overcome? Like everyone wants to talk about their success. And so they gave me all the advice without having to ask for it. And that's kind of how I built my mentor circle early on was giving them something without asking for them to give me something. Mentors have been my key to success is really being in the room with the right people at the right time. And again, not saying, hey, can you hook me up with a job? Can you intro me to this person? Can you do this for me? Never asking for anything, but saying, man, it's amazing what you've done. Can you share that specific story of how you did it? And then they're like, how can I help you? What can I do? Who do you want to connect it to? Like they tell you how they can help you. So whilst we're on the topic, then can you, can you share uh, one or two big ones, which is not too specific, so sure. which really everybody can, everybody who's listening and watching can kind of apply? One or two big so, what? Well, some valuable lessons you extracted from those mentors it depends i mean i've had so many great mentors you want to come back to it later <laughs> i'm just trying <laughs> to same think. as you. i mean it's... so we just dear listener watcher, we just did a podcast the other way around <laughs> i know for, for lewis's podcast which is called uh, the school of greatness yes which i'm a big fan of so just before this podcast now we we're recording the other way around i mean, was asking me the question <laughs> and, and he asked me exactly the same thing more or less and i was also stuck for a while i know i mean there's there's great lessons that I've learned personally that have come at different areas of my life when I needed it the most. And then there are just great principles that all the great mentors have taught me. And the greatest mentors have all taught me to have a clear vision and to live a life of service. It's like being clear on your, your dreams, on your goals, on your vision, on your mission, like having clarity. Because a lack of clarity makes us feel lonely makes us feel more insecure makes us feel like we're just wandering the earth waiting to die so the clearer our dreams our goals are whether it's a 20-year dream or two months it's like having some direction it's knowing where you want to go is the first step and something that you talked about in our interview which is that you feel like you lacked having that that kind of wisdom early on you wish you had more of it was living a life of service and i think that's the greatest gift you can give yourself and other people is by being in service in some shape or form. So those two things have been always very powerful. You came from being, sorry to say, of course, it's mm -hmm. a very traumatized, suffering human being, always just in need for recognition yeah. and, and um, some attention. Um, some attention. Love. And listen, and there's then, people who have more traumas than me, but that's something, you know, I've no, you, can, you can't compare really yeah, either. Yeah. It's really personal. No? So now you've come out from that and you say you've learned to to give as well, and, yeah. and you were speaking about your dreams. Can you go more into like what is your what is your dream now? Your dream before was to be an all American, yes, be and, to, and to win yeah. and to be perfect, exactly, and to get all the recognition as yeah. a result. Which is not that's <laughs> not exactly in the dream, but it's uh, it's actually what's behind the dream. Yeah, and so I realized now it wasn't what's, the, yeah. what's the dream now with all the success you've had? Where's the dream? For me right now, it's to impact 100 million people a week to help them live a better life. I feel like there is so much suffering and loneliness in the world. 
And then my dream is to rid the world of what I had to experience for 30 years until I really started to work on myself. And so the mission is to impact 100 million people a week to help them improve their life. And that could be in their relationship to their self. That could be the relationship in their intimate relationships or their friends. That could be in their finances, in their health, whatever is lacking, wherever they feel the most suffering, I want to rid them of suffering by giving them tools and information to support their life. And so that's the mission. Now, what have you done for yourself apart from engaging in this project of uh, helping others? Uh -huh. For example, the School of Greatness, which yeah. is an awesome way to, to help others. What have you done for yourself then? My um, part, like to rid yourself from this desperate need of validation and, uh, and recognition and being the best in the world and having the best podcast in the world and being number one. Yeah. And if you're on iTunes and you're only number 11, then oh, you're depressed. Yeah. Uh, even though you helped uh, millions right of people, now, right? but you're only 11th on, on iTunes. Um, how many times per day do you check that? <laughs> I used to check it a lot. I don't check it. You so check. what have you done? What have you done to stop yourself checking the iTunes charts I, every single day and being depressed because you're almost never going to be on number one because it's almost impossible yeah, yeah. For, all, for any of us. Sure. So you're only well, going to be depressed. So what have you done to make progress? Well, I think uh, probably like you, I'm a competitive person, <laughs> right? So there's a competitive in me that 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 focuses on numbers and results right and as a business individual you've got to know your numbers so that you can pay your team that you can manage your all your resources so there's a certain side of me that's is competitive that's like how can i grow how can i be bigger how can we be more in the top 10 on the charts all that stuff so that side used to be 100 where is it now every that used to be obsessive it's a lot less now it's much more balanced and much more even where like if i see my numbers drop or whatever in the rankings I don't take it personally anymore. Come on, really? I don't take it personally anymore. I'm, I might think like, okay, what can I, it's, it's just feedback for me. It's information that says, okay, you need to get better. You're not doing the things you need to do to be able to attract the people to keep, maintain the people to listen. Like you've got to be better. So it's feedback for me that says, what can I do differently? Who can I hire? How can I show up differently on my podcast? What do I need to do in marketing wise to grow back up in the top 50 or top 10? I'm not beating myself up. I'm using it as an information to grow. But what I'm doing is when I started my podcast seven years ago, I told myself I just sold a company probably six months prior. I had enough money for maybe a few years, right? To like live for a couple of years before I ran out of money. And I said to myself, I was 29 at the time. And I said to myself, if I could do anything and money was not an object, what would I want to do? And I said, I really want to just get back into interviewing these potential mentors and learning from the best in the world and sharing that wisdom with, with people and helping people and also helping myself. And that's when the School of Greatness started because I was like, this is what I want to do and I don't need money right now, so let me do this. And, the f and I remember just saying to myself early on, if I can just impact one person, like after my first interview, if just one person listens and it helps them in their life, and they just let me know like how it helped them, then it would be a huge success for me. And so I think sometimes I might have gotten off track as the numbers grew, but now the, every week I do a team meeting and I say, share one or two testimonials that we got from emails. That's nice, I did that as well. That is from someone who's been had a major impact from the podcast and how they got a big result and improved their life. And we'll read those testimonials every Monday morning with my team and it, 
gets me back to the mission. Like we're doing this for Sarah. We're doing this for John. We're doing this for Susie who just wrote in. I'll write that down if that's okay. Yeah, of course. But this is, this is who it's for. We're not, you know, yes, the mission is to reach a hundred million people a week, but man, you know what? Susan just got out of the most toxic marriage and she's free for the first time in 20 years. And she can actually go live her life without this suffering and and for me, it's like, that is the most rewarding thing when one person is impacted in a deep way. Or so-and-so, uh, like we had a guy who quit smoking and lost 80 pounds because of one moment. It wasn't even something I said. It was one moment that he heard someone else say about their health. It was it, the handball it moment. Just, yeah, right? <laughs> but it, just, it just clicked for him. It was like something someone said in one episode way in the past was like, it clicked. And something shifted in the way he thought. And he said, I'm putting the cigarette down. And I'm going to eat salad. And he lost 80 pounds. He met his dream woman because he started to build these daily habits that we talked about in my episode. Delayed gratification and not instant gratification of the addiction. And now he's healthy. His skin is clear. Everything. And it's like, I'm doing it for those people who truly are making an impact. Unfortunately, not everyone is writing in every day and saying, like, this is how it transformed my life. But it's like, if one person's impacted for me, okay. The goal is 100 million a week, but if one person a week is impacted, like I'm doing something good with my life, and that's what I focus on. It's hard because all these other big celebrities have podcasts and their numbers, you know, and I want to be like, no, I'm the best, right? But that's what gets me in trouble from the past, and so I know to focus more on service and giving than competition and more collaboration. Like I used to not want to work with people because I just said I need to be better than them. But now I want to collaborate with everyone. I want everyone to win because that's impacting more people. That's very, very cool. So that's how, that's how I'd manage it now. And I also do a lot of work on myself. Like every, you know, I'm bringing on people like yourself or world-class therapists, or psychologists, or whatever it may be, scientists, doctors, to improve myself. It's a selfish thing that I get to interview people and say, what's one thing I learned that I can apply to become better? And how can I help people with that wisdom? So every week I'm learning how to improve myself, to overcome my insecurities, my fears, my doubts. I just feel like I have this massive tool belt that whenever I go back into like my childlike hurt self that wants attention, that needs to be right, that needs to defend myself, I just take out one of the tools and use it. And that helps me in a big way. Kind of get back a, on track. You hold a diary from these kind of learnings that you have from your guests, or uh, we we transcribe it all, and then I'll take notes and yeah, kind of have a mental diary too. So cover some recent big big learnings from yourself. I mean, you've had the most incredible guests. You had Djokovic on yeah, uh, recently. Great. You had Kobe Bryant on, yeah, Mike Tyson, and then and, Mike yeah. Tyson. But that's just from the sports. And you, uh-huh. of course, as you said, you have the most incredible scientists and and professors and whatever else. I like this. Can you give uh, yeah. for yourself and a lesson that you used for yourself sure. to to find more fulfillment and more happiness and more purpose? Yeah, um, this, can this, you share some? I'll show you something from this year. I went through. I think you could appreciate this because you had probably the most judgment constantly of press, media, peers for years, right? You had to deal with people judging every move publicly. And you were smart to never read the newspapers or the press. Yeah, Yeah, but here's the problem. You can't escape it because once you get into, once you get into the paddock every second week, 
you have you're obliged to sit in front of 100 journalists and they ask you these on questions. your own oh my and they will ask you all of those things that are written in the press like do you uh, what do you think to everybody saying that you're just a dog of your teammate you know because <laughs> oh, that was the headline in the Shut daily up. mail yesterday oh my god and so man. you can't escape it and i can't just say f off uh, i'm not answering your question oh my god you have to engage you have, you have to, to have be polite like grace. and you yeah. have to answer the question and so you just can't escape it so that's the problem so shutting off is only half the way to go because you still, uh, face you, it, yeah. you still have to face it that's what makes it uh, oh, difficult i haven't really even talked about it in my show or publicly talked about it but i went through a public shaming for a few months earlier in this year it was kind of like my biggest nightmare happened because we want Sorry to protect I left, but i just know so much about you know that, that's so why you can understand to. so it's like that you we want to protect our ego mm. right we want to have this image about us uh why is that so, why is that perception. so important why is that so important to you if you're just trying to help well, others well now it's not anymore it's not important but this was just a few months ago this was like yeah nine ten months ago well i think it was like it never really happened before where i had kind of like all these people judging me at once and so for me it was just a lot of I was like, what is happening? Like, this is crazy. I was like, but this is wrong. That's not true. That's not true. And there was this feeling of like wanting to defend myself because everyone had these assumptions. Probably just like all this stuff in the press, well, this isn't true. Saying these things about me, that's not true. And so it was like my ego felt under attack in a public way, which I never experienced, right? I felt in other ways. It was kind of like my biggest Explain why does that cause you suffering if you just read people writing um, bad opinions when at the same time you know that you're helping tens of millions of people. So you have five people writing something bad. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I had lots of people writing stuff bad. Then it was 15. It It was was not going to be more than that. It's a journalist every time. It was a lot. It was a lot, yeah. 20. More, more, yeah. More than 20. It was a lot, yeah. Okay, the whole media landscape will be 100 people, so it can't be more than that. It wasn't media. It was people talking and leaving okay. negative comments and everything and all that stuff. It was kind of like a public group So it would be the absolute minority. It was like yeah, a group shaming. Yeah, but it'll yeah, be yeah, the minority yeah, course, because you are you have so many fans yeah, around yeah. the world. A lot of people didn't know it about it. It'll be the absolute minority. But it felt like so why you have you're helping 90% of the yeah, people, 95, yeah. who are still massive fans and loving, yes. and then you have 5% take, saying something. Why do, you, why it, do you care? Why does, it, it was, why does it cause you suffering? I think it was because um, it felt like a lot of bullying. It felt like, man, why are these people trying to bully when they don't actually know the information? They don't know the truth. And I felt like kind of betrayed by a lot of people that were just making assumptions without knowing the truth. So that was really hurtful when you feel a sense of betrayal or a sense of like bullying. And I felt like I didn't have a way to like defend myself or, or share information because I also didn't want to bring attention to the situation and give someone else more ammunition to bully more. I had to go through that, and I'm very grateful for that experience because I'd never been through that in a public way. I've been through it in like school, but not in like some bigger public way. So it was the greatest lesson for me to realize like, wow, these opinions don't matter. Like what matters is that I have really close relationships that people love me and understand me and know me. And as long as those five to 10 people are there for me, like. It doesn't matter if there's hundreds of thousands or millions of people or 50 people that are don't like me. It doesn't matter. What matters is the mission. So it took me a few months to figure that out because I was afraid of everyone judging me or thinking something about me that they didn't know the truth about. And that was what I didn't have control. It was a lack of control of people's opinions, which was like the scariest. 
But once I killed my ego and just said, wow, it doesn't matter if this person judges me or not. It gave me so much freedom to focus back on the mission. And I think that was a huge lesson is learning how to let go of the control, the perception about what people think about me. And now I can just go focus on doing what I do. And I have no control whether people like me or not. All I can do is help people and focus on the mission. And it's been a game changer ever since. And I think it was the greatest gift I've given myself is learning that lesson the hard way. So I'm very grateful for But it. But come on, it's, like, it's not like a switch. You can tell me, I'll believe you, you've made progress. It took months. But uh, it took months. You can't flip the switch. No, it's, I mean, it, it took many months in the beginning of the year. And even now, there's still like this person continues to like publicly try to shame me or whatever. And I'll ask myself when I'll see something pop up, I'm like, is how does this make me feel? Do I want to punch a wall <laughs> or do I feel at peace? Like, I think anytime someone tries to like hurt you, it's probably not going to feel like, oh, I feel amazing. So there's moments of like, man, it's just, I just try to think about compassion. It's a practice. Trust me. It's taken me nine, 10 months to get there, but I try to think of like, okay, let me have so compassion. So it's being aware to the feelings that are coming up. Yes. And being aware. Being I'm like, aware, okay, that sucks, but let me have compassion. What is this bringing person going your, through? And bringing your thoughts back to positives. Exactly. Um, and I try to think of compassion I, and then I'll reflect. Compassion for them talking badly about you? Compassion for them. Whoa, yes. that's Dalai Lama level. It's for, <laughs> I try to think of forgiveness and compassion. Wow, that's I, huge. I'll think to myself, man, they must be in a lot of suffering if they're trying to take someone Oof, else down. That's high level. If they're trying to... I'm not there yet. Because... <laughs> This, this person will do like interviews and talk about me like once a week or something. And I'm just saying to myself, wow, if they're holding on to the past that much and telling these stories and making this stuff up, they must be in a lot of pain. And I know what that feels like because I've been in a lot of pain where I've done stupid things, you know, growing up. So I was like, even though, you know, I'll just try to have as much compassion and I'll just say, I forgive you. And I'm so grateful that you're teaching me this lesson and what can I learn from this and how can I become better? So it's just feedback. It's information on how to grow. So again, it's not perfect. I'm not perfect. So then, then if I may ask, then it's okay for you that we also dig in what exactly it is. Sure. Because my, my listeners won't, uh, yeah, of course. So, so as a, a girl I was dating started publicly shaming me after we broke up that I cheated on her. And so started telling all this stuff and spreading all this news But people don't know our relationship. People don't know actually what happens. They don't know the truth. And um, so that's the challenge. So it's kind of like saying like, oh, he's he's a liar in this. And he did this. And he did this. And it's just like people actually don't know. People have no clue. Like the months of therapy we were in and everything that we went through. And it's a private relationship where we had conversations. And no one knows the dynamics. So when someone starts spreading, trying to like defame you in some ways, and spread something about you. But this isn't true. You know, all these things weren't true. And people just don't know. And they don't need to know a private relationship, what was happening. So that was the that was the challenge, but it gave me the greatest gift, and I'm really, really grateful for it. I think we all have to kill our ego. We have to have an ego death before we can find inner peace. Because I never had inner peace. And, you know, I would have moments of it until I had to kill another part of my ego. Like I felt like I had inner peace six years ago and then it's like every couple of years I would be reminded, oh, actually I still don't because this really affected me emotionally. This really made me angry and resentful. And I was like, okay, what's the lesson? 
how do I allow myself to get back to, like, what do I need to learn still? I need to learn forgiveness. I need to learn more compassion. I need to let go of my ego. And that's been the constant process. So this year was a big, it was like taking a, a knife and just stabbing my ego in the heart over and over again and saying, die. In a loving way though, huh? Yeah, no, it was no, like- No, 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 you like, have to do it in a loving way. In a loving way, yeah. You need to-, you need to uh, Well, you either have to do it in a loving way or the world accept, will do it's, it. It's via acceptance, huh? Acceptance. You can't, uh, you, you can't uh, stage a war. You can't beat yourself no, up it's when about everyone else acceptance. is doing, Accepting it and, well. and forgiving myself. So and, maybe the stabbing wasn't the most- No, but it feels like- the best visual It feels like an emotional- lesson. It feels like an emotional stabbing of the ego when you're resisting. When you're like, I don't want to go, it's painful. I don't want to go through this. And you're trying to like hold on to some control. And until I finally was like, I surrender to whatever's going to happen. And I can't control people's opinions. All I can control are my actions moving forward and uh, my mission and trying to serve people at the highest level. And that's all I can do. People can talk about whatever they want to talk about. They have no clue. And this is what I'm going to focus on. And, and being okay with any conversation that people say. So it's been, a, it's been a blessing, amazing. And I also met the woman of my dreams because of it. So it was like it got me out of a toxic relationship and found like this amazing woman. So best regards to the ex-girlfriend and thank you very much. Exactly. No, it's like, and when we were going through our breakup, I, I kept saying to her over and over, I was just like, I want the best for you. I want the best for you. And she kept saying, I want the worst for you. And I was just like, okay, well, I want the best for you. I hope you find amazing love and I want the best for you. She was like, I hope you burn. And I go, <laughs> I, well, I love you and I want the best for you. I just had to keep saying that to myself because wanting the worst for someone else is a reflection of how you feel about yourself. Huh. Even if they did something, even if I, you know, someone kills your dog, it's like you having evil energy towards someone is also a reflection of how you feel about yourself. And so I'm not saying this is easy in any way. And I'm not saying, and I'm also saying it's okay for to be angry at moments. Like I'm still angry at moments, whether it's that or other situations in life, I can get angry, but I know that only, only serves me so much by staying angry. It doesn't serve my mission by continually being angry. So it's like, like you said, having self-awareness in those moments, reflecting, journaling, and moving beyond it quicker, as opposed to staying in those emotions has been a really powerful tool for me. Again, I'm not perfect, but. That's hard. And, and meditation, uh, do you use that as well for this I process? Went to, of course, I went to India two years ago, two and a half years ago for two weeks to become a meditation teacher, instructor. A teacher? Yeah, well, Seriously. I went through it through a week of like intensive training, and then I did a week of instructor training. Too. How many hours per day is intensive training? I don't know. What do we do? 15 hours it's a day, hard, 16 huh? hours it's a day. It's incredibly hard, no? It was just like you're eating vegan the whole time. Oh my you're, you're up at 6 a.m. You're, you know, we were doing stuff till 2, 3 a.m. in the morning sometimes. That was one of the most powerfully transformational experiences was just being deep in no technology, in emotional awareness, in visualization. And I really took my mind to places that I'd never been to before in that process. And so I don't do that every day, but I have a 15-minute practice in the morning that sets me up to win for the day, where I really visualize my mission, my dreams, who I want to become that day. Take us through the one from this morning or yesterday morning. It's kind of the same th process every time. There's a, there's a set of breathing techniques. There's a set of mantra, internal mantras. There's, uh, and there's some visualization where I, I it's going to sound weird, but I, in my mind, I leave my body and 
I look down at all the problems of the world and I try to take everyone with me. So I, I bring everyone up. My arms extend throughout the world in my mind. That's going to be weird, I know. And I bring everyone up in the clouds. And we You're have probably a, actually doing that physically as well. Physically. Like I'm bringing them up in the clouds and everyone comes up and we all have a dance party and we feel <laughs> ultimate joy and bliss. And so I'm like, what could the world create from a place of joy and bliss and fun and love? And I just put that in my mind. Again, this is going to sound weird. Then I fly through the universe. Again, really weird. But my, in my mind, I see myself flying like Superman through the universe, bouncing off planets, jumping, bouncing off planets until I go so far into the universe where I can't see Earth anymore. And I look back and Earth gets farther and farther away until it disappears. And for me, that's a metaphor of saying like, my problems are so small. Like holding on to these negative things are so tiny. Like if I can take my mind and go so far away where I can't even see Earth, it's a speck, it's gone, I can flick it. It's like, then what I'm dealing with right now, these day-to-day challenges of someone cutting me off in traffic or my latte being cold, it's like, whatever it is, why am I reacting to these small, minute things when it doesn't matter? What matters is love, what matters is mission, what matters is helping others. And then at the end of my meditation, again, this is all weird stuff. We didn't, we didn't pull an Elon Musk here, by, by the way, before. With the huh? car? We're completely sober here. On yeah, this, we're uh, sober. Yeah, I'm not podcast. smoking. <laughs> this is, um, but these are all things that I have, tools and things I've learned over the years. And at the end, this is what's really important for me. At the end of my meditation practice, I imagine my best self. So again, this is all with my eyes closed and I'm visualizing this process. I imagine the greatest version of myself, like the greatest Lewis in physical form walking up to me. And I'm standing up and he's standing up. It's who I want to become. And he's looking me in the eye and I visualize how he looks, what his smile is like, like the energy and the aura that he's putting off. Nice. Like he looks be- like amazing. He's like this unbelievable looking human being, like this person <laughs> that I want to become, right? He's just like... He's got so much peace, so much love, so much joy. He's got like no injuries. He's, he's standing up straight. He's got great energy. And I'm like, what do I need to do today to reflect more of that person I want to become? And, um, and then I kind of open my eyes. And, and I also think about all the good things I want to create, like all the great things I want to attract. But I also think about what happens today if everything goes wrong. How do I want to respond? So if I, you know, a friend or a family member says something I don't like, how am I going to respond? If someone cuts me off in traffic, how do I want to respond? So I try to also plan in my mind when things go wrong, what would my best self do? Would he react? Would he scream at people? Would he want to jump out of a car and beat someone up? You know, it's like, how can I become more of that today? And that gives me... Um, that just helps me become prepared for the day within for what anything happens. Again, it's a, little, it's a little weird. No, but that, that the last one was uh, was the least weird. That one, <laughs> that one was cool. Preparing the, for the worst. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. No, no, no. That no. But visualizing yourself in in how you want to be and how you want to appear and everything. Uh, that, that's cool. Like and imagine the, Nico. The positivity that you radiate and the, like and what the is the kindness greatest, and everything. What does the nice. greatest version of Nico look nice, like? Nice, yeah, what nice. Is, what does the greatest version of you look like? Do I have to say that now? Yeah. 
What does it, like, what does like it if look you like? Saw, if you saw, like, from a distance, the greatest version of you, he just walks in the door right now well, and greatest, stands up next to you. The greatest version is very caring of everybody who's around with a lot of empathy, which is compassion, same word, with full presence, which comes with uh, compassion and empathy. So completely present in the moment, not thinking about worries or fears from the past or bad experiences or expectation or desires, mm. just right now in the moment, healthily confident. How does it look physically? Well, of course, standing, uh, standing up tall. Yeah. So imagine, imagine that image in your mind every day when you meditate nice. or it's you nice. go to sleep or you wake it's up nice. and saying, I want to become more of that today. Yeah. Like it's going to do incredible things for you. Problem is, I don't meditate at the moment. I've become lazy. It's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to be consistent, it. man. I hate it. It's no, no, I don't hate meditation, but it's the fight for di- the fight for discipline. It's the fight for oh, time, the energy, Jesus. and the the pressure is gone from my life. So I that know. forced me to I that know. forced me to try everything in the textbook to try and find personal progress. The edge, yeah. the edge, and now it's gone in my life. So I've uh, I, I I always I'm always fighting back and forth, back and forth. Oh, I but I think this is very cool from you, uh, which for the listeners and viewers is is great to now pick out in this moment your drive to search for progress all yes. the time. I think this come across very clearly now in this uh, in this talk as well um, that you're constantly looking for the next uh, learnings, the next mm-hmm. step, the next progress, the next uh, the next everything. And I think that's so 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 important for all of us yeah. if we want to find more happiness if we want to find more fulfillment it's the process of looking for it even don't even don't expect you're going to find it instantly because you just don't it doesn't mm-hmm. happen but the process of trying to find it and and putting effort into it and discipline that's almost like 50% of it in itself it is. even without finding anything it is man and that gives um, that gives you a sense of uh, you're proud you're happy your, uh, your purpose just this searching for. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest messages uh, that I would kind of like to bring across from today, listening to you, yeah. going to India, um, f- speaking to all the mentors, writing it down, extracting extracting everything, meditation, applying that, yeah. all these things to to always step by step in life, grow as a, as a human being. Yeah. And it's shocking out there. So many people just don't realize that there's an opportunity there to grow. They don't, they don't, they don't realize that there's an ocean of opportunities to make progress as a human being. I mean, every one of you listening or watching has sufferings in life. And I've I've seen so many people that they don't understand that there's an opportunity to, to move away from those, um, with learning, with, uh, with trying, with discovering. And that's sometimes a bit, um, how would I, almost shocking to see that because they're, they're, it's just blocked on, on a certain level and, taking that suffering forever. So I would really like to encourage everybody who's listening and watching to, to give it everything in that domain and, and start reading some books. I mean, start with the, start with the school of greatness. No yeah. better place to start. Exactly. One of my dreams is to write a book, so I'll be coming next. That's New, York, great. New York Times bestselling author. I've written it down. It's on my, uh, it's on my list. <laughs> when are you going to write your proposal? My what? My, 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 your my book, book proposal. To it's the like, publisher? Yeah. So a book proposal. To get a deal with the publisher? Yes, exactly. Oh, it's okay. like an outline. I didn't even know like that. A, it's like a document. I was going straight, to go straight for the book. Hey, you could if you could just go to the publisher to just <laughs> got, buy it. My, my, my agent is sitting in the yeah. room now. We can't see him, but I've got the best agent in the whole wide world. That's great. So it's just going to be a, a, an easy one. So it's just going to be a no brainer. <laughs> so it's going to be straight to the top. When you want to no, have but a book. But this guy, he pulls the strings. When you want to have He just puts it straight to the top. When you want to have a book deal by. Not out by, but a book it's deal. It's a really, it's, I want to, I want to, there's no rush. There's no rush. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to do it. It's one of my. By one when? Of, one of my dreams. 
By when? But I, I, at the moment, I'm doing a bit too much, so I need to be careful because okay. I'm very addicted uh, to things in general. So I always have to slow myself down and I Beer. always end up doing too much. And it's okay. always the balance between family and, and pushing too much. I'll, so, I'll tell you this. If you die tomorrow, would you regret not having a book out in the world? No, nah, come on. That's not it. Of course. Of course I would. But uh, it's, yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's so much information that you have for okay. the world that you're robbing people of valuable lessons that could actually help save people or help people grow. That's a dark way of putting it. So every day you don't have a book out there, you're actually hurting people. Yeah, that's not fair. It is fair, though. That's not a good way of saying it. It is fair. No, no, no. That's not positive. We want to focus on the positives. Well, you could be helping. Anyway, so watch out, watch this space. There'll be a <laughs> book. The book. There'll be a book one day, we and it's not it. going to be about. It's not going to be about uh, Formula One gossip. No, I mean, it's, it's going to be. It's going to be about principles and lessons. Attempt to try and extract. I think principles you got to get lessons. A, I think you got to get a book deal in the next in the next six months. The agent has just said we need to leave in five minutes. Yes, he's, <laughs> he's, very, he's very strict. He's the no, book. no, he's he's very he's very strict. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's coming soon. So uh, yeah, I think that's. Um, let me let me take a little uh, one thirty what? second time out. What? Yeah, one of the things I was gonna while you're thinking if you're if you're thinking of something. Um, when I was in India, because you were talking about suffering. Yeah. When I went to India, I learned that there are two different states of being that we can live in. One is a beautiful state. One is a suffering state. And most of us live in this suffering state where we're experiencing fear and pain and anxiety and stress and worry and overwhelm, and we stay in this state of suffering. And we want to be in this other state of a beautiful experience of joy, of love, of peace, of intimacy, connection. And I asked them, well, how do we get out of this suffering state? Because I feel like I'm always suffering, right? It always goes back to suffering. Might you be- asked the guys in India? Yes, oh. yes. Uh, Krishna, what, do you, what do you call those? Uh, 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 what are they? Well, the the, the meditation monks. Uh, monks yeah, yeah. yeah. Monks, yeah. The, the people who created this foundation called One World Academy, Krishna Ji and Preeta Ji, they're, they're married. They started this. And uh, they said that suffering comes from obsessive self-centric thinking. Yeah. So when we think about what we're lacking, when we think about ourselves so much, we suffer. When we get out of self and we focus on others, we suffer less. And we get into more of a beautiful experience in our life. So when we focus on, well, why didn't this happen for me? Why am I not getting what I want? Why did so-and-so say this about me? When we judge ourselves, we suffer. It's when we put our attention to everything that you've been saying, which is like, I want to be more in service. I want to be more giving. That's why I'm creating this podcast is to help more people. You become more beautiful in your experience. And that's where peace comes from. So something about fear. So Gandhi said... What to find say? happiness for yourself, you need to get lost in the needs of others. Oh, something like that, in the service of others. In the or service something. of yeah, others. That's yeah. it, right? This is Gandhi. Isn't it true? Yeah, the but more this is you help people. Unfortunately, still a long path for me, but I'm going for it. You got it. I'm trying. I'll get there. You got it, man. I'm trying. Anything I can do to support you, let me know. I got your back. Thank you very much. On your on your Nokia phone, you can message me every. <laughs> uh, so I'm uh, I'm yeah I'm trying to simplify life. So I've gone away from smartphone and gone to Nokia. <laughs> Problem is I've got to the US and my old Nokia doesn't work with five G. Yeah. So uh, so I'm properly stuck. So I'm back on the smartphone for the weekend. What is your greatness? I mean, you you are the school of Mister School of Greatness. Uh-huh. So your greatness, we've covered it kind of. You want my definition? Yeah. For yourself, it's, huh? Yeah, for myself. It's kind of what you said on my, my shelf. So when you said it, I was really glad you did. For me, greatness is... I've learned from the best. <laughs> for me, greatness is discovering 
your unique gifts in your life to pursue your dreams. And in that pursuit, making the maximum impact on as many people around you as you can. So what's your unique gift? For me, it's always evolved. I mean, I use sports as a unique gift. I use now interviewing people, creating content, writing books. It's whatever your gifts are, discovering those unique gifts, cultivating them and then in order to pursue your dreams and then making an impact. So I'm always learning new skills, new tools to pursue certain dreams that I have. But in those pursuits, I'm always saying, how can I inspire other people with my dream? How can I help someone here? How can I give over here? Do you have a new dream that we're not aware of yet? Like that goes beyond uh, book writing and podcasting and reaching 100 million people? I mean, I want, to, I want to go to the Olympics still. Still want to go to the Olympics? Yeah, I'm, I'm still in the USA. 36. I'm 36, I know. <laughs> when, is the, when is the next one? It's next year? No, when is it? Next I year, mean, huh? here's the thing. I would be an Olympian now if the USA had uh, the Olympics in the last eight years because you get an automatic qualifier yeah. for the sport when it's yeah. in your home country. Yeah. We haven't qualified for the Olympics since 1996 in team handball. And the last time, that was because it was in USA. So we're just not that good. They only take like 16 nations to the Olympics in handball, and there's so many good teams in Europe. So it's really hard to compete to just qualify for the Olympics. So the next Olympics in the USA, I think, is uh, 2024. Well, you're already an All-American. You're an All-American already in three sports. So three you sports, might as well. Three sports, yeah, De yeah. Decathlon. Decathlon. Football. Football. Two and sports. Handball. Well, not an All-American, but I'm on no, the no, USA American. national team. But that, is, that counts as All-American. Okay. I mean, All-American is an actual like award as one of the best athletes in college in that sport. I'm oh, sorry, I didn't know that. Okay. So I'm a... But you, you'd get that anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a national team member, yeah. but I want to... Be in the Olympics. It's, it's not the last. It's not. It's not too late to change sport for a fourth time. I know you have it one is. year time to prepare for I next year's Olympics. So which it's sport a, are you, which sport are you going for? It's it's so physically handball is so physically demanding. It's hard to keep up with twenty three year olds yeah. as a thirty six year old that plays like a few times a year. But you're gonna try, huh? Try Olympics, we'll see. So. Um, I mean, that's a dream, but that's like eight nine years away when the Olympics is in the USA. When I would have the oh, there is shot. an Olympics in twenty twenty eight. I think is the, the serious in LA. Oh, amazing! So we have an automatic qualifier. I'll be forty forty four something forty five. So I don't know if who knows what will happen in the next eight ten years. Yeah. But um, anything's possible. So nice, if I still love nice it, dream. then maybe I'll try to com compete, or I'll find another sport that's less physically demanding. Yeah. But so it's, a, it's a nice dream because that, that's the dream that's given your life so much extreme positivity has, from sitting as a couch potato on the sofa. Yeah, exactly. With I mean, 300 pounds and I a know. box of chips. That's it, man. I mean, other dreams, I want to write more books and help more people. I think for the first time uh, this year, I thought about what it would be like to be a dad. And I think that's a dream of mine in the future. I never thought about having kids really before. And I think I just never had the right partner that made me trust that if something happened to me, they'd be able to take care of them. Yep. So maybe I'll be calling you before like that journey to ask you like, what's parenting with, really with like? With pleasure. There yeah. I have a lot of, <laughs> give me some feedback. I have a lot of valuable yeah. experiences there to give. Um, so yeah, but those it's are all worth it. It's the most, uh, most wonderful thing in, in life. That's powerful. Thank you very much for your time. My man, appreciate you, Nico. Thanks, Thank you uh, for joining my podcast. And uh, we've done the same, well, the interview reversed yes. the other way with Lewis asking me questions on Lewis's podcast, The School of Greatness. So you can also check that out. Yes. Uh, it was also a very nice uh, conversation. So thanks for tuning in and um, tune in for the next one very, very soon. Bye -bye. Yes, man. Appreciate it.